You are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to be here with you today. It is so good to be here. We just got back from Miami. It was so much fun. It was amazing. And, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of Rich Wilkerson Jr. not being there when I'm in Miami. Well, maybe that's why he goes out of town. <laughs> he needed a break. No, he, he, he just had a kid. Well, his wife, public DC, knowledge? just had a baby. Is that public knowledge? <laughs> it is public knowledge. I'm yes. just kidding. But <laughs> They've been posting it. They're I have so to excited. publicly apologize because he had texted me and I hadn't texted him back. Maybe so, that's why he left town. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rich. I love you so much. You've been a big brother and you're a friend. But we were at, we were in Miami and I, I was just your wingman for the weekend. And it was really, really interesting because I, I, neither one of us have been in church in 18 months. We haven't been with a live experience in a year and a half, live worship, live. We've been building the church. I guess when you're talking. You, you've spoken to cameras. <laughs> yeah. I've spoken to cameras. We've been doing mm-hmm. that already. But in LA, the requirements have been so crazy right. with mask requirements and uh, public gatherings that we haven't been able to do church the way we would want to do it. Right. We've have, we have our houses and I mean, you know, our Hollywood house probably has 200 people who come and, and uh, the pass, South Pass, South pass Seattle, and downtown. We have so many different ones. And we have like 350 houses around the world now. Which is awesome, but it's not the same because you're watching the worship on the video and you're singing with it and you're listening to the message on the screen and you're experiencing that. But as a, as a speaker, it it was uh, it was quite a culture shock for me to have a room full of people that I was talking to. They kept interrupting me, and it was a little confusing. Yeah, the, the, his opening, <laughs> my dad's opening was: "You started the message with, I'm a little nervous. Mm-hmm. I haven't done this in 18 months in yeah. front of people. So if you'd help me by not responding, not laughing, <laughs> not moving, and no breathing, <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, and and I did find myself. Uh, I spoke three times. The first time, I uh, I felt really stiff. Yeah, you walked off and you're like, nope. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, you know. I mean, they were great. They were great, but but I, I definitely felt stiff. And, you know, when you're speaking to a camera, you're having to stand pretty still and you're having to look right at the camera. And, and that eye contact is really critical for the experience. But now you're in a live audience and you have hundreds and hundreds of people and you're trying to make eye contact with all of them and yeah. keep them all connected and, and move around. And I could tell that I definitely, you know, it, it, it was definitely – something I need to step back into. But yeah. it, it, for me as a son, and also just someone who loves communication and speaking, and and I don't necessarily love doing it. I love the art of it and, 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 and learning about it. Um, watching you speak three times in a Sunday is actually really fun. You, you always are like, yeah, you don't need to come to this one, like stay at home, like, or stay at the hotel, or you go to the beach, or do something else. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's actually, it's fun, and it's actually really fascinating and great to watch the evolution of your communication over the 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. gathering, the 11 a.m. gathering, and then at the 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. gathering. Um, for me, it's really fascinating to watch the, the corrections you make, the adjustments you make, how you build on certain moments, how you take feedback, how you ask, like, did this land or mm-hmm. did this work? And you just are kind of always like retuning, fine tuning the, the whole process. And it's really fun to watch your process. It's really fun. <laughs> Thank you. I think you never give the same three messages almost ever. It's pretty much impossible for me. Yeah. Right. No, it's pretty, no, I've seen you do it. I've seen you lock in and almost say word for word the same thing. You know, that's true. If I think the message is on point, on target, and exactly where it needs to be, I, I have sort of an eidetic 
relationship to, yeah. to words. But you and sometimes I can remember. Yeah. Sometimes you'll like you'll you'll just like expand on a story or something. Yeah. You know, but it's not really remembering. It's somehow being in a in a flow where because you don't write things down. No. No, your notes trip people out because it's just Bible verses. <laughs> and you only put them there so you don't have to open your actual Bible because sometimes you'll be like in a dark room and you're like, I can't see that. Well, some of them is because, you know, with my eyesight, yeah. you know, seeing print is very difficult. So my iPad allows me to make the print larger. So it's, I love holding a Bible. I actually do. I you think do. it's, it's you a really do. beautiful thing. I just, I'm past the stage where the size of a Bible I could hold and the words <laughs> that I could see, I would be carrying something up there that would take three men. <laughs> so, so, okay, my thing with the Bible on platform, and I think you should always have it. I think it's good to have your Bible. I think if you don't have one, if you, even if you don't believe in Jesus, it's an amazing book. You'll find so much wisdom in it. My thing is that when the AC's on or a fan's on in the room and you're like holding it and then the page turns, but you <laughs> your other hand is the mic and you're like, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to like move it over with my lips. How do I get back to where I came from? <laughs> so I, one thing he taught me is have it memorized as much as you can, mm -hmm. the verse. So if it flips, you don't have to like actually read it. You can just summarize yeah. it. I think the other dynamic after um, not having spoken to a live audience yeah. for a year and a half was that I was also bringing brand new content. And so it wasn't uh, a message or a theme that I had spoken on so many times that I could just pull out all the material. I was introducing really the concept of my next book, The Genius of Jesus. Yeah, and it, it was, was so raw. It was completely raw. So, so every, raw. everyone was finding, it was watching me uh, mine for my own personal Bitcoin. And it, was, <laughs> it was funny watching you. <laughs> Because at one point people laughed and you were like, huh. Okay. <laughs> Where I didn't think they were going to laugh at that well, Or that wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> but now that I know it is funny, let's there just we... go ahead and work with it. But you, but you would do it. And the next <laughs> one you'd be, you would say, you, you kind of would feed it and then you would build on it. And it was, mm -hmm. it was cool to watch the adjustments. Yeah, yeah it, it was really also trying to figure out how do I take these concepts and bring them to people in a way that it unlocks the right things. Like after the, um, I know it was right before the first message, you said to me, so what do you want them to do? And of course that freaked me out. It paralyzed me because- Like what are the practical steps? Yeah, what, you, what do you want them to go and do after this? Yeah, what, what, what you said to me, what, what do you want them to do when they finish listening to your message? And I'm, and I looked at you and said, I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. You're like, you're like switching shirts and you're like, yeah, I'm not good at that part. I yeah. don't, that's not my yeah. part. Yeah. Your, your mom, her whole message is, I'm going to tell you what to do. Yeah. And if you ask me for permission, I'm really going to tell you what to do. And even with you and Mariah as my kids, I just never told you what to do. I no, would always- it was so frustrating. I would try to help you process how to make decisions about what you, you should do. You really did get us as a parent because most <laughs> parents are telling the kid what to do. And we're like, tell me what? To do, please. No, you didn't finish the sentence. What? Most kids have their parents tell them what to do so they know what to rebel against. It was so, <laughs> it's so easy to rebel against mom. <laughs> don't knew, do this. You knew exactly what I don't know if I wanted. don't want to do it. I might do it. I might like it. Yeah, see, and I, I, I was more like, look, if you choose this, these are the consequences and benefits. If you choose this, these are the consequences and benefits. Decide what consequences you want in your life and what benefits you want in your life and then choose. It was so crazy. So, <laughs> so then in the so message, you want me to tell people what to do. And I'm going, no, I want to change the way people think. I want to change the way people see reality. But tell them that. <laughs> hey, at the end, 
you might see things differently. But I, but no, but that's my general theme in life. My, my. You don't like giving them the easy answer. Now, my goal in all communication is to violate. Confirm or deny. No, no, I want to violate. Confirm your, or your deny. <laughs> Tell me, I, my I, voice is so crazy, I can't control it. I never want to give people an easy answer. And I think all answers you give people make it easy, because if. If you give a person an answer, they didn't struggle to get to the answer. And they I am the it. type of teacher who is like, here is, this is an open book test. <laughs> I'm going to give you all the answers. No, it, you know, this I want is you usually, to love, love this experience. <laughs> this is usually applied to money. If you don't make them pay, they don't pay attention. Mm. Well, I think it's true also in learning. Like if you don't pay the price for getting to the answer, you will not pay attention to the answer. Yeah, but sometimes I look at it like this. If you don't tell the joke, they won't laugh. Yes, but ah, there's a perfect example. This is proof that I'm right. Don't use my words against me. <laughs> no, this, thank you so much. This is a <laughs> moment, a welcome. stroke of genius. You are no, not no, welcome, see, sir. A great joke doesn't tell you that it's funny. <laughs> it's just funny. No, 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 it's, it's right. If it works, the other person tells you it's funny because they laugh. It's something that comes intrinsically out of the person's essence. And that's the way wisdom comes. It has to erupt from the inside out. It can't be shoved from the outside in. But they, the people, <laughs> don't know that. No, but you're- No, don't no, no, ignore no, no, it. No, they no, don't no, know no, it. No, 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 no. You, look, you got around so many communicators where they give you the punchline and then they tell you the joke. Well, and then they wonder why it's not funny. It is funny because <laughs> sitting down in other places, in other spaces, they're so encouraging to the speaker mm -hmm. that I'm that that they almost encourage in moments they shouldn't. Right, and that's why I don't like. I, I don't like that fake encouragement where, and I, I think it's sincere, but they're trying to help you be better. <laughs> For sure. No, <laughs> I like you it. Do I need it. Don't stop with me. If. Don't tell me I'm better than I am in those moments. Yeah. But for you, it's like it's like trying to fly with training wheels on. Right, no, see, you're, I, you're trying I'm to getting, do something different. If I'm getting a lot of applause, what that means to me is everything I'm saying, you already believe. That's not, no, because I watched it <laughs> from the 9-11 mm -hmm. to the 7. You, you, were, you did get a lot of applause in the 7. One, I think they're young, I think they're yeah. excited. I think there's, like a, there's an mm -hmm. energy there. But also, I think there's a willingness to open their minds in a way. Right. Like what, in the morning service, more conservative, a bit older of a crowd. And, and it's, it's a harder shift. Right. No, but I think what happens, at least the way I unwrap um, a message is in the first three quarters of the message, people aren't sure if they should clap. They're not sure if they agree. They're yeah. not sure if I'm right. They're yeah. not even sure if I'm allowed to say this. Yes. <laughs> and, and then by the last, by the fourth quarter. Yeah as they're seeing things get unwrapped and, and then rewrapped, as they, as they see things get deconstructed and constructed, that's when they start clapping, when, they, when it explodes in their mind, oh my goodness, this is true, this is real, there is more. Look, I, I, we talk about the book a lot on this podcast, and if you don't enjoy that, you should unsubscribe. Because I really love this book, and I really and I've and I'm someone who like has always struggled with with faith, was struggled with being in church, struggled with a lot of like speakers, communicators, and and you're someone that I really have like stand by that I think genuinely changes. I can bring my friends who don't know God to church where any church you're at, and it's a good place for them. Mm. And so for me, we're going to talk a lot about the genius of. We're talking about a lot of other the things. The genius of. I know, Jesus. I shortened it. 
the genius of podcast. The genius is the of is the podcast, and the we're going is... to be unwrapping the genius of all the different guests that I'm bringing on week after week after week. Yes, the genius of Jesus is the book. When, are... yes, okay, you you win. <laughs> You're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Okay, so here we go. There, I do want to talk about. We talked about Vu. We love the Wilkinsons. Um, they have DC's brothers were there. Are they not the most amazing guys? The most amazing. That human whole beings. Duran family is incredible. Yes, is it Duran? I think it's Duran. It's Duran Duran. Yeah, Duran Duran. Yeah, you have the Wilkerson Duran marriage. It's like royalty. It's like royalty. It's like they they like. It's, yeah, yeah. It's like two nations combined. It's like a, a lord and, and a duchess or something like that. Duke and duchess marrying each other. It really was. So the two brothers were there, and and I think it was Dakota who was doing the hosting at the end of the seven p.m. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like I don't really enjoy preachers very often. If you're if you're preaching at me, I don't. I'm good. I think I'm okay. I don't like being yelled at. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just growing up with a southern mother. I don't know what it was, but. I really loved the way he cl- wrapped up your message. You know, he did a great job. He did a great job, and he had such like he, a, he had to layer it a little bit with some of their own theology. Well, he, yeah. no, my thing is this: yes, because I think that's the role of the person who's closing yeah. is to kind of wrap up and go like, "This is the ESPN highlight." Yeah, like I'm going to take this concept and I'm going to land it for every person who didn't get it, mm-hmm. and. Or and, for our community, because he knows how to personalize it yes. for their people and their culture. But honestly, he's a wonderful communicator. He was authentic, vulnerable, strong. Yeah. And and I and I lo- I loved him. I was like, I afterwards I was like, hey, look, I don't know if this is this is a compliment, but it is a compliment. It doesn't sound like one. I don't like speakers and preachers. I loved the way you did that. I was I was I was a huge fan. So, anyways, I was a big fan. Yeah, and I, I think that's the key is that he had he had intensity, but it was from from a really honest place. Yes, and it was very authentic. He wasn't yeah. cliche. Yeah, he had intensity, and so and I think that's a hard thing to do because he had a great dynamic of being able to lift the room without having to to pr- to say things that they needed to hear. Yeah, maybe you would disagree a little bit, but I think so. No, it's beautiful. I agree one hundred percent. That's 100%. the beginning portion of this podcast. All right, so we're going to talk about. I want to talk about empathy. I want to talk about kindness. Because me and you went to a dinner on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when we travel, I texted Mariah this. I was like, I think I'm done being dad's wife on these <laughs> trips. Because my mom didn't want to go to Miami, which was probably like a good choice because Rolling Loud was there, this like crazy festival like Coachella nice, and South yeah. Beach. Yeah. And it was <laughs> popping off like more than South Beach normally does. It was which is not insane. really Kim's. Not her vibe. Yeah, it was not, not her vibe. Not her vibe. So... <laughs> So this week we're I'm taking her to Monterey. I'm going to the TED conference. Amazing. More of her vibe. More more of her vibe. So so I I was your work wife for (laughs) our dinner Friday night, and you know, like our new friends, you know, they showed up, and I I I know nothing. They're they're more they're closer to your age, and I always end up just feeling like the kid, right? Like I'm 33 now, which is awesome, and I'm excited, but. I always end up feeling like, like the, uh, you know, Mariah sings, you are the, the leader visionary. And then I am like, t- I'm me and the wife are locked in. Like you're talking with, <laughs> with, with Bobby. Right. And I'm talking with his awesome wife and we're <laughs> Sophia, like, yeah. Sophia, I know my role. <laughs> my role is to hang out with everyone else. 
And so, no, we, but Bobby loved you. And his wife is cool, so cool. Yeah, Sophia <laughs> loves you. So, super cool. But every mom loves you. <laughs> every mom. I love, moms love me. Your mom loves me too. Yeah. Okay. Your mom loves me too, Brooke. That's good. Okay. Um, Shout out to Tessa's mom and Brooke's mom and all the moms out there that love Aaron. Um, uh, no, it's amazing. And I'm going to have him on our Genius Self podcast. Yes. But I wanted you to meet Bobby Castro and Sophia because um, – very unique people. He, so unique. He only has a ninth grade education. And he started a business with $1,700 that his mother-in-law gave him out of her bra. She's like a Cuban mom. <laughs> he's telling the story. He's like, he's like, I don't speak Spanish. She doesn't speak English. But we've always communicated. That I think is really unique. There's yeah. a couple of things I pulled from it. But he says that she, he asked her for this money. She pulls 1700 out of her bra and is like, here you go. And so he's like, um, something about Cubans. Cubans keep everything up there. Yeah. So Sophia <laughs> is Cuban and Bobby is Puerto Rican, born in the Bronx. Yeah. And comes from a pretty. But he's Puerto Rican, but doesn't speak Spanish. No. But he's Jewish as well. He's, he, you know, okay. that's a Puerto Rican Jew. <laughs> that's like, that's like um, it's, okay. it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's like how I'm a Salvadorian, but I don't speak yeah. Spanish. Okay. I get it. But anyway, he starts this company, $1,700, sells it for. Uh, a little over, I think, a billion dollars. Incredible. And he's such a kind, um, caring, thoughtful person. And so the opening conversation, right? The first thing he says is he had a he has a principle he's learned in his life that has been the source of his wealth. What was it, Aaron? He says that this is what he said: kindness is the key to everything. That you have to be kind. Kind being kind costs you nothing. And it brings everything back into the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you start, you stopped at the conversation I was having with his wife and you were like, I need my son to hear this. I need my son to hear this. <laughs> because you had been in a culture where kindness was seen as a weakness. Yes. You were in a culture where if you had power, you, it was, you're almost like your birthright or your privilege to abuse people and mistreat them and misuse them. It was a, it was a culture of intensity and not kindness. And so I'll go from there. Right. But you can be intense and kind. Yes. But you also need to know who to be intense with. Yes. And, you know, like, I think you can't be intense with everyone. Mm -hmm. Some people just need kindness. I think some people you're able to be really intense with and they get it. Yeah. Right. And you cannot build a billion dollar company without having passion and intensity. Right. And super high standards. But his whole thing was like, I, I, I work in, a, in, a, in an industry where I have to handle lots of lots and lots of different people, mm-hmm. lots of different clients, lots of people who are buying a product from him. He goes, and I just decided I'm going to, there's a lot of people who do it in a really shady way. I'm going to do it in a really kind way mm-hmm. and be really gracious. And it was a phenomenal thing. So, and he said his mom was the waitress at Denny's. Yes. And it has always stayed with him that the way you treat the waitress at Denny's is really the way you treat his mom. Yeah. And that everyone who comes across your path deserves a little kindness from you. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. So I want to talk about empathy and I want to talk about kindness. It's something that we really argued about growing up. Because mm-hmm. I watched you kind of being taken advantage of a lot inside inside the church, uh, you know, even in business situations. And I always, yep. there was a situation we argued about in Miami. I was like, that one conference hasn't paid you. Let's do them. And, and I said, you said, that's not how we do things. And I said, <laughs> all right, let's put them in the LA river. <laughs> that's not what I said. Yeah. There's a pretty famous conference that has owed me money for 10 years. Yes. And I've graciously given them all the time in the world to 
you know, yeah. pay me for my work. But this is what made yeah. me mad is they posted a photo of, of you in one of your quotes. Yes. And I wanted to respond from Battery and be like, you were responding and I stopped you. Yo, where's my money? <laughs> where's my money? <laughs> I want to get a little hood on, on him. So here's the thing. You obviously talked me out of it, but I thought it was really good because I'm like, I can so, I, I do think that I value kindness now but it's so easy to slip out of kindness. It's so easy to like lose empathy. Yes. To, to forget that that's who we need to be. Absolutely. And when I wrote The Genius of Jesus, the first characteristic that I think unwraps the genius of Jesus is actually an empathy. So the first two chapters deal with genius and then being a, a prodigy. And then chapter three begins identifying different characteristics in Jesus where his genius was expressed. And the first place we went, because I think it's foundational, is empathy. Yes. And I've been convinced for a long time that empathy is the highest form of intelligence. And I think one of the great tragedies is that we have been emphasizing math or English or um, science or uh, business as the highest levels of intelligence. And I actually think empathy is the highest form of intelligence and it, and it permeates everything we do. So I'm gonna read this little excerpt. Yeah. I sent the message that you did um, at VU, which is awesome. It's on YouTube. It's at 7 p.m. It's the last gathering. It, my favorite one. It's on their YouTube channel. Check that out if you if, if you want to watch that talk. It's incredible. It's titled The Genius of Jesus. Um, oh, I sent it to a friend and immediately the next morning they sent me a thing on empathy and that's mm. what they pulled from it. I'm going to read this, this quote on page 55, The Genius of, em uh, the genius of Empathy. This is the title of the chapter. Mm -hmm. Every encounter in the life of Jesus was a study in the power of empathy. On one occasion, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him how he might obtain eternal life. Jesus told him to go and sell everything, give his money to the poor and follow him. We're told that that young man dropped his head and went away sad because he had great wealth. In the middle of the story, the disciple Mark adds these words, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Instead of seeing a selfish, spoiled man who did not want to be a part, to part with his money, Jesus viewed him with gentleness and compassion. Even when he dealt with his adversaries, Jesus's motive was always love. Mm. And so I, I sent the talk to my friend and I want to just pull this up real quick because I thought it was really, really fascinating that this is what they extracted from your talk. Empathy is the highest form of intelligence because you will spend your life searching for love and meaning. Mm -hmm. So can you, can you talk to me about two things? One, why was this important to, to focus on the genius of empathy inside of Jesus? Well, I think that one meant empathy has been really misunderstood. Okay, tell uh, me how. Well, a lot of people think empathy is, I'm all about my feelings. <laughs> That's what it is. We live in an ENFP-driven culture. If you're not familiar with those letters, that's the Myers-Briggs. Okay. It means extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. Now, here's the dilemma, is that a lot of the assessments that assess empathy are actually measuring how much your emotions and your feelings are involved in your decision-making process. Right. That's not empathy. Okay. If anything, that can actually be closer to narcissism because it's just so much about you and your feelings and that are wrapped up in the facts and in the decision-making. Empathy is the ability to actually feel what another person is feeling and care about it as much as that person is caring about it. And what I think is amazing about Jesus is that he never stood from a posture where he was looking at a person and not understanding how they saw the world. 
It was as if Jesus could step inside of that person's world and see what caused their pain, what caused even their their violence, what caused their darkness. And it's it's so much easier to judge a person when you don't understand what formed them. It's so much easier to understand a person and to actually uh, care about a person when you see what caused them to become even a person that you don't like hmm. and maybe even despise. Wow. But then you realize, oh, that's what got that person there. And you're able to see them differently. And I don't want to go into layers of detail. That's why you should read chapter three and the genius of Jesus. But why do you say empathy is the highest form of intelligence? Empathy allows you to see what everyone else is blind to. They allow you to see things inside of the other person, not just about the other person, but inside the other person. It allows you to see things in the room that no one else is aware of. One and, thing that you talk about is being able to see things through the eyes of the person that is, whether it's your adversary or your mm -hmm. enemy. One thing you always taught me growing up right. was always learn from your enemy. Have as little enemies as possible, but if someone doesn't like you, learn from them. Yeah, it's like have no enemies, but you can't control whether they consider you an enemy. Right. And and then understand them and and, and learn and, and I, I to me learn how to care deeply about them. It changes you. It may never change them. Do you find that it's uh, easier to have an enemy than it is to have a friend? Wow, that's such a good question. My immediate answer is yes. It's easier to dislike someone and to write them off or to listen to other people talk about them mm -hmm. and than it is to go and get to know them yourself. I think it's also easier to have people dislike you uh, than it is to have someone who, who deeply cares about you mm. and about your well-being. Right. And I write about empathy from a very personal place. Growing up, I always thought that empathy was uh, my Achilles heel. It was a part of my weakness. It was a part of um, the brokenness of my internal structure. It's only as I began to uh, develop as a human being that I realized that what I thought was a weakness was actually a strength. I didn't grow up in an environment where empathy was was um, a preferred attribute, you know. And um, and if you grew up in sports, you know, empathy really isn't a high value, you know, <laughs> and uh, assets and you know, competition, drive, ambition. Uh, focus, uh, determination, all these things are really important and they're all really good, but empathy isn't usually there. And and so when I was young, empathy was a, a real liability for me. Uh, and then when I was younger, they um, I took this assessment, actually even when I was older, uh, through the Gallup organization, and I had the, I had the highest score possible on empathy. Really? And uh, so I had a perfect score, actually. And, and other people who were there. You love that, don't you? You love that. <laughs> you love it, don't you? And if, yes. I'm perfectly empathetic. And it doesn't mean that there isn't higher levels of empathy. It just means as far as they could test, I, I uh, optimized. So you were saying you achieved far beyond the test. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having fun with That's that. not what I'm saying. <laughs> You're turning red. I kind of got you a little bit. Yeah, it's He's hard. like, I'm not not saying that. <laughs> Here's my – what's funny is I was there at an event with 20 world leaders in that particular event. And and they only graphed you based on if you came out in the top 10% in the world. And when I had the score and empathy, other leaders there, CEOs, businesses from South Africa, Japan, other places, kept saying, 
did you know the right answers or do you really feel that way? <laughs> they, they, they had the same response you just had. Because they would struggle with empathy. No, yeah, they, they didn't do really well. But you're not actually an ENFP though. That's the no, thing. That, you, so it means you scored even higher on thinking? Yeah, I, I score really high on thinking. And so it's, it's a dissonance that I have um, this level of empathy, even though I make decisions based on goals and objectives, and uh, which is a part of my internal crisis, right? Which is literally and, so relevant to the message you spoke two weeks ago on like how to take the loss, how to take the yeah. L, how to lose. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me because there are times in my life I, I, I know, while wow, making this decision is going to cost me money, it's going to cost me success, it's going to cause me achievement, but it's going to win people in the best way possible. And so a lot of people think, oh, he, he didn't know how to win in that area. And I'm going, no, I'm, I'm choosing a loss so I can have a win in the, in the area of, of human dynamics, human relationships, and mm. the impact you can have on, on people. And, um, and really my relationship to Jesus is where I began real, uh, discovering that empathy was actually a superpower. Interesting. And, and I, I think there are a lot of people who are overwhelmed because they feel so deeply what other people feel. See, I'm, I'm almost never overwhelmed by my feelings. I am, I'm, I'm constantly overwhelmed by what other people are feeling, what other people are going through. And sometimes it's even unbearable for me. One thing that I have a hard time with is I'm someone who is, who, you know, low impulse control. I'm working on it. I was very like young and bold and brazen and ego. And, and, and I said a lot of things. I talked a lot of trash and I made a lot of en enemies. And I, I'm really am working on that battle ready. That already family. I am really working on that. I, I'm making it a point to not talk badly about people. And when I do, it's like only probably with you because <laughs> you'll keep me accountable. And and like it, it's that's like one of the biggest things. You know, just to stop on that. My friends don't talk bad about other people. Mm. So I don't understand it when other people like I talk to Eric about this, Tess's husband a lot. Like we don't talk trash. We talk trash about the people in the room. It's brutal. If you're in the room, you're going to get some stuff talked about. Yeah. But I'm like, we, we come from this idea of like, if they're not in the room to defend themselves, mm -hmm. don't, then there's not a fair fight. Right, but I think uh, one of the great enemies of empathy is ego. Okay. That um, the reason you don't want to understand the other person is you need them to fail so that you can feel better about yourself. And I... You, I, I do pray the prayer, the, the, it was a David's prayer to the Lord. He says, uh, uh, prepare for me a feast in front of my, before my enemies. Yeah. I do pray that. We Last all want year, that dinner. <laughs> we, I want that dinner. Yeah. I want French food. But, you know, you can also pray, um, Lord, prepare for me a meal that I may feed my enemies. I'm just saying that there are other options in life. That... I think that's the only, that's the only better option. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And Can you expound upon that? I don't think you really need to. I think it kind of speaks for itself. But if there's anything else you want to add to that, can you? I, I just, I, I really do have like a deep concern generationally. And that empathy will be lost as a form of intelligence. And And by the way, if you interact with people more through social media, if you interact with them more through, you know, your phone and through technology and last face-to-face -face, without realizing it, you're losing that, that mental muscle of, of empathy. 
you talk about the mental muscle of empathy, but I want to just gas myself up a little bit. Because mm -hmm. um, two things, because I, I went to this thing last night. Uh, it was like a, a piano mm -hmm. lounge thing. And I I had saw two of my friends, Colombian friends, and and Gabe, who I had known in New York, and his brother, who I'd never met before. And I said, man, I just love you. You're so kind. And he's like, we were just having this conversation before you showed up that we honestly all think you're the kindest person in the room. Mm. So I'm That's I, the greatest compliment someone can give you. So I'm growing. Mm -hmm. I'm growing. I'm growing. But in certain situations, I have a harder time being empathetic. And you know this because we went to the gym mm -hmm. and I did something that you didn't like. I like like I was talking to somebody and I walked past somebody and I didn't finish the conversation. I just kind of like waved and was like, bye. And you're like, what are you doing? Like have a conversation with that person. And I was like, I was on a mission to get to the gym. Like I, that person was just, uh, uh, it was a, it was, you know, it was a yellow light. Like we were just saying, What drives you crazy is I feel what other people are feeling when they're so, being interacted in a certain way. But I have a really hard time. I have a hard time hating people for very long. Even though I have in the past, I'm, I think it's a newer thing last like three or four years <laughs> because I start to embody, like I start to like put myself in their body, in their mind and go, what are all the things that made them like this? Mm -hmm. And it's something I've learned right. from you. Yeah. And it's really hard because I don't want to like them sometimes. I mm -hmm. still want to dislike them. I have a really hard time disliking almost anyone now for a, a long period of time once I actually get to know about them. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to dislike people that you actually learn their story. Yeah. Right? And, w and without going too metaphysical on you. You're going to go there though. Um, a part of what happens when you develop empathy is you can actually feel the psychological, emotional, spiritual frequency of people in the room. And you just, you, 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 you experience them. It's, it's hard for me to explain it, but I, I can walk in a room and I can know. I can know who's mad. I can know who's sad. I can know who's broken. I can know who's filled with joy. I can know who's doing well. I, I can know who has good and bad intentions. And, yeah. and, um, and that information for me is as tangible and concrete as reading a document. It's interesting. I, I've like I've made two new friends recently who are both in the hospitality, mm -hmm. and one of them last night I was telling you this. I, I went to their place for dinner and like uh, their the restaurant that they run, mm -hmm. and he was like, something I do is I deep dive into every guest that is coming to the restaurant, mm. and and he's a master host, right? And I'd never I didn't even see him the night I was there, but he's like I do a deep dive, so I've watched two of the battle readies. So he's talking to me about the veteran and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And so if he's listening, I'm, I'm, we're catching on. But, but being around Tim and being around my other friend who are both in hospitality, it's raised my level of, of awareness for people because they are so turned on and, and genuinely turned on. It's something like they bring out their best selves, like being kind, being interested, being um, studied on different people and they 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 go beyond uh you're just coming to my place for restaurant or to my restaurant for a reservation they go i want to know about that person and how to host that person best mm. so one thing that i that i want to know from you is if you struggle with empathy or maybe you're going like maybe i don't know if i'm empathetic or maybe i'm maybe i think i'm empathetic but maybe i'm not how do you grow empathy mm. that, i think there's some real practical ways of doing it first oh, way oh practical uh, you can know, one of the ways you can know your level or degree of empathy okay. is uh, by the environments you create. Okay. Like when you walk into someone's house and it's very cold, you can actually know that there's a low level of empathy in the people who designed it and put it together. 
Okay, but and, I like cold and, sometimes. Yeah, but no, no, you like minimal. Okay, okay, that's but true. your 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 minimalism still has a level of warmth. Warmth, and there's a difference. Okay, and then other people, um, you you can see when a person is more like uh, they need security and safety. You walk in, and the room feels almost um, cluttered, or <laughs> or it's, it's interesting, it's isn't confining, it? or it it, it and uh, you what you're creating around you actually gives you a good picture of your inner world. Ah. So that's just uh, just a starting point. And um, I don't know, you probably don't know this, but when your sister was little, um, well, I would take her shopping and she would go around. I do know this. And start story. touching clothes and moving clothes around. And she said, because they feel lonely. Yes. And she she would personify the materials and, and could, could and could feel whether the the clothes on that rack was lonely or not, and and she and that was really interesting, and I don't I don't think I've ever really said this, but a lot of times I'll, when I go shopping, I actually touch things so I that they everything. so that they know they have value. Oh, do you, that's why you do it? I do it. Oh, I do it because I'm like I need to know if it's soft. <laughs> and, and I need to know that like I need it's like a weird thing it's like mm -hmm. like taste to smell yeah I need to know that what it looks like it's what it actually yeah. feels like there's just a connection for me and yeah. I know it sounds really insane and uh but no I understand it but I didn't know how that was translated to Mariah because I never told Mariah that I've never even acknowledged that yeah. but when I watched it with her when she was young I realized that and that she was that way with animals and she was that way with even stuffed animals and everything were there around things her. that you noticed about me and Oh yeah, no, I'm no, just curious. I'm curious now. I'm curious. Yeah, um, the which, Mariah story I did know because <laughs> she's so empathetic. Yeah, and and the interesting thing for me with you and Mariah is that I would say Mariah is more like a peach. She's soft on the outside, but but her core is pretty I hard. Think it will break your teeth off on the <laughs> yeah. inside. You know, you bite into that, you're going you're going to lose your teeth. You're you're more like a coconut. <laughs> you're hard on the outside and hollow on the inside. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> No, no. And a little bit of water in there. <laughs> Meaty and juicy. Meaty and juicy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the inside, and uh, where a person gets all their uh, nourishment. And you don't even want to look at me. In the, <laughs> you're not looking at me in the eyes anymore. <laughs> no. and, um, and 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 I, I think both of you responded to the world around you because both of you have really high empathy. Uh, your high empathy caused you to experience a lot of pain mm. because you thought the world would be as caring as you were. And so you decided I'm shutting down or I'm, I'm going on the attacks and no one can ever hurt me. Right. And so you turned into a porcupine for a long time. And Mariah, she has super high empathy and she decided, wow, there's so many people out there who can hurt you that she just became more um, protective and going, okay, I'm only going to let a few people into my space that I care about. Yeah. That way, only a few people have the potential of ever hurting me. Right. And I think people with super high empathy are people who um, are more fragile as they interact with the outside world and actually have to develop a resilience out of, of that brokenness. Okay. And, um, and so there's a dynamic there. And that is, um, I remember when I went to the uh, this neuro clinic, you know, that does brain treatment stuff, which I've been to, 
Um, they actually said, you know, not all brains are the same. Some brains are Ferraris and some brains are trucks. Walk, walk us through this because it's something yeah. you've talked to me, about, yeah. to me a lot about growing up. Because they were showing me my brain patterns and and uh, and they said, hey, you know, your your brain is a Ferrari and it's been damaged. Um, a lot of brains, most brains are trucks and no matter what happens to them, they never get damaged. They just don't get hurt. And, and I began realizing that so many kids that actually, in that sense, have like Ferrari um capacity have been really hurt and damaged and broken going through the same thing as someone else went through but they just were a truck they were a tank and they just never affected them, never hurt them right, right. And it's the same thing with empathy if you have incredibly high empathy you have to realize that it's not necessarily that you went through more than someone else you're just more uh, fragile because you feel it so much more deeply and more dynamically and yeah. so one, if you are a person who has high empathy, what I would say is um, don't let the pain you've experienced in your life cause you to become hardened and, and don't, um, don't turn into a coconut don't, yeah, or, or a porcupine where you're, yeah. you know, you're going to hurt people before they hurt you, right? you know, because that actually becomes the dark side of empathy. Mm. And then if you're going, I really lack empathy. I'm, I just don't know what other people are thinking or feeling. And I don't know how to grow that. First of all, it's it's not an easy thing to grow, which is why I actually wrote the chapter. I should have written the whole book on empathy. But I wrote the chapter just to at least create awareness. Step one is be aware of the fact that you're blind to how what you say and do is affecting other people negatively. And uh, step, that's step one. Step two is ask. <laughs> and, uh, ask. Ask the people in your life. Um, how are how are my words and actions affecting you emotionally? Yeah, you know, are they creating in you a higher sense of my value for you or a lower sense of value? You have to ask the people around you, because people with empathy naturally ask. They naturally pay attention. They naturally are always asking asking themselves, you know, how did my actions, how did my words affect the people around me? If you lack empathy, uh, you here's the thing: if you think you never hurt anyone you don't have any empathy, all right? See, if, if you're listening right now and go, well, I don't have that problem, you don't have any empathy. <laughs> and, uh, if, if you're sure you always get it right, you just don't have any empathy. <laughs> and uh, people with high empathy are pretty sure they get it wrong all the time <laughs> and, uh, and then you know they can do better. Yeah. And, and so um, if you go to the end of the day and you think, wow, I was awesome, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, you probably need to, to become more aware of empathy. So if you're married, ask your husband, ask your wife, hey, are there is there anything I could have done today that would have made you feel better about our relationship? Is there, is there anything I said today that I could have said differently or better? And, and here's the difficult thing. They're not gonna wanna tell you because they know that you don't receive criticism well. Because people with low yeah. empathy think that um, critique is attack. And people with high empathy don't like to critique. They don't like to critique. I so hate critique. It becomes people. a really hard thing. Like, yeah. how do you get, it's like, too, it's, it's too, it is as different as someone speaking a different, completely different language mm -hmm. and not being able to communicate with each other. Yeah. How do you bridge that gap? Like, what does the Google translate to low empathy and high empathy people? And high empathy and low empathy people. Like, how do you, how do you bridge that gap? If you're a high empathy person, how do you tell the person who's open to empathy or open to a conversation like constructive criticism? How do you, how do you have that conversation? Well, it takes two willing parties. Well, it does. But the thing is that if you have high empathy, you have a, 
uh, you have better material from which to keep growing as a human being. If you have low empathy, um, you can still be super successful. You probably will end up creating Microsoft or Apple or, yeah. you know, because those CEOs clearly were people with no empathy. Yeah. And it would be my assessment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, um, and, and remember, if you have no empathy, you start moving toward high narcissism or sociopathic yeah. uh, behavior. And it's as simple as you have to start caring about people. And then if you can't change caring, you have to start putting people first. So if, it isn't, if it's not natural for you to care about people, it is natural for you to prioritize. Yeah. It is natural for you to create um, a, a, like a subset of values. And so you need to make people your highest value. So even if you just don't naturally know what they're feeling or, or you just do not naturally have care, you have to then create value and just go, I'm going to value those people more than my goals and objectives, more than my outcomes. My, my value is going to be that those people are treated with value and respect. And that's a good place to begin. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that you talked about in your message at Vu was if you don't use it, you will lose it. Mm -hmm. And you very rarely rhyme, and you didn't intend to make it and rhyme. And I only rhymed because you told me to say that statement because it was mm -hmm. the best summary. What are you talking about? You said in the 9 a.m., and you said, what did you, what's up oh. with you? And I was like, that you said it. But you you said it like- I was trying like, not to rhyme. Like everyone knows it. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know that. Tell me. <laughs> That's right. You told me, emphasize that. Emphasize. Yeah. Here's the thing. I want to break that idea down. I want to ask you about it mm -hmm. because- if you watch the message, you should watch the message. It was kind of the crux. It ends up becoming like the crux of the message uh, built around the genius of Jesus, right? If, if you do not use your genius, you will lose your genius. You, you give this reference about being a young child. Mm -hmm. Can you, I think better from you if you talk about it. I don't want to summarize it. No, summarize. So summarize. Yeah. You talk about how children are, are test higher in the genius category. Oh yeah. And the, the, by the way, this is in the book, The Genius of Jesus. Yes. And, um, uh, George Land did studies back in 1968 for NASA as they were developing an assessment to identify genius for uh, future astronauts and engineers working for NASA. Wow. And he took that same assessment and later used it in the, in the evaluation of children. 1993, he came out with a book that deals with this material. They found that the children they graphed at the age of five, that 98% of them actually passed the genius test. Wow. So 98% of children were identified as geniuses. Wow. They tracked those children for a decade. When they were 10 years old, only 30% of them still graphed as geniuses. Wow. By the time they were 15 years old, only 12% of them were graphed as genius. And by the time they moved towards adulthood, adults, um, only 2% of adults actually graphed as geniuses. And so what we discover is that genius isn't something that you have to hope somehow gets endowed to you, that humans are innately geniuses and that genius has to be nurtured and developed and unlocked. When you become aware that you were a genius and now all, all you're doing is losing the genius inside of you, <laughs> that it is like pouring out of you and 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 leaking and 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 spewing and it's like quicksand and it's sand and water in your hand and it's just, lo you're you're just losing an image of Sandman. Sandman. It's like it's like in sand. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. um, I could do that better. I'm gonna do it one more. No, time. no, it's okay. good. You like that? Yes. Keep going. Ah. <laughs>
<laughs> um, people are like, wait, he does multiple versions. Yeah, I don't always say things as well as my dad. So no, but this this was the thing. It is slightly terrifying to become aware of this reality that I have genius in me, and now I'm 33, and probably I have one and a half percent left. <laughs> 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 how how do I go and get it back, or can I grow it again, or how is it that I unlock or refine, or you know like like do I have to go on the beach with one of those like metal detector oh. things and like scan to find my genius again? Like no, this is so. Where good. did I lose it? Okay, I'm gonna give you something I probably did not put in the book. Oh, this is this is special. Okay. So first, I'm gonna answer your question because you always accuse me of not answering the question. I have a feeling you're not going to though. I am gonna answer the question. Okay. If you've lost 98% of your genius from neglect. 98.5, yes. And you only have 1.5 left. Yeah. Then you better get to work. Because you get, because you still- Can I grow it? You still have 1.5. But so I feel- No, are you going to treat the 1.5 the way you treated the other 98.5? But I didn't know at 5, <laughs> at 10, at 15 right, that but, I was losing all this know, genius. Now you know. So you didn't have responsibility for the 98.5 that you lost, but now you have responsibility for 1.5. So are you going to find the courage and the determination, the resilience, the focus? No, I'm scared. I want to hold on to it. <laughs> I want to protect it. <laughs> yes, and that's it. It's in my hands. If you hold it and protect it, you'll it, it lose go. it. The only genius you keep is the genius you use. All right, so he, if you but, don't use it, you will lose it. But here's what I'm going to tell you that I didn't put in the book. I don't think I put it in the book. Your intelligence, just dealing with intelligence, is not static. See, a lot of people think that intelligence is static, but your intelligence isn't static, it's dynamic. See, I know I'm smarter than I used to be. I'm just going to say that. And I don't mean more educated, I mean smarter. And the way we talk about IQ, the way we talk about um, intellectual capacity, uh, the way we talk about genius, we actually talk about it as if it's static. It's a, it's a limited resource, but it's not. Genius is a dynamic resource. So what I would say is you don't, you don't have to worry about getting back the 98%. You take that 1%, you nurture it, you begin to build on it, you're gonna watch that 1% go to 10%, the 10% going to 20%, you're gonna find yourself uh, accessing genius that maybe it wasn't uh, developed before. And because who you are is not static. I can get healthier. I, I can get in better shape. I can actually develop muscles. If I really wanted to do the work, I could get rid of the fat and I could have a washboard stomach, even at 63. I, I, I'm only limited by the amount of discipline and work I'm willing to put in to achieve the goals that I have. And that's the mythology of genius. We think if we have a genius, it should actually be actualized without hard work. But genius is only developed through hard work. And so all the historical geniuses that we know of, they did not develop their genius without almost a fanatical commitment to that genius. And so Bobby Fischer became the greatest chess player who ever lived, but he played chess all the time. He studied chess all the time. He studied his opponents and studied the game all the time. The genius was already in him. It was the discipline, the passion, the focus, the intensity that harnessed that genius 
and made him one of history's greatest geniuses. And that's the thing is that the genius inside of you, uh, your average will be actualized without any work. <laughs> but your genius will only be um, actualized through great work, hard work. And I think that's where uh, the dilemma comes in for most people. It's not whether they have genius, it's whether they have the resilience, the perseverance, the commitment to developing that genius to its highest level. That's amazing. I love it. I, the thing that, I, that sticks out to me so much is that if you do not use the genius, if you do not harness the genius, if you do not develop the genius that is inside of you, you will lose that genius. Yeah. And so now that you are aware of the genius inside of you, and you'll be more aware when you pre-order the book and you buy the book. I'm just going to do a sales thing right there. All right, it was go too for it. good. If you pre-order the book, you will discover the genius inside of you. It'll be the first step. But the thing that you've you've put us all at a crossroads at on this podcast. We have the choice now that we are aware to develop the genius inside of us or to walk away from it and to choose mediocrity and to to to, to settle for conformity and this average um uh, the, the average state that we probably all just rest in normally, right? Mm -hmm. And so, or we we choose the genius and it's probably dangerous and scary because all the roads that you tend to give us the other option for are all those things. Mm -hmm. But so did Jesus. Jesus was very much like that. I want people to pre-order the book. I want people to to post about it. And, and this is why, because this is really important to us. We're going to keep kind of diving into different areas and different conversations. I am going to do something special in this podcast. I'm going to do a book club with you, with, with you people, with Battle Ready Fam. Not you, because you wrote the book. This is my big binder version of the book, but with people who are listening. So I'm going to create a link and you guys can sign up and we're going to do a Zoom thing every week. And I'm just going to kind of do it. Maybe it'd be 15 minutes once a week. So how do they uh, join? Do they pre-order the book, send you a photograph of the pre-order? Yes. So you pre-order the book, take a screenshot of the receipt. Uh, of the order confirmation, you post about it, you tag me, you tag you, mm -hmm. Aaron McManus, Earl McManus, and Bad Ready Podcast. I'm going to DM you a link to the sign up for the book club, and we're going to break down this book over like eight weeks. Cause and I know you invited me to pop in on the first one, but I'm only going to pop in if you if you have a, a really great attendance in your book club. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, so sign up for this book club. I think it'll be fun to do it together. If you want to do your own book clubs and, and that's your thing, you're like, I don't need Aaron's book club. I want to do my own. Um, it, we want you to do that. And so mm -hmm. we're going to kind of create this like thing where if you order 10 books pre-order, you're going to send them a message on, on a video Instagram thing. We'll figure out something we're going to do. If you, yeah. if you get 100 books... We're gonna we're gonna figure something out. If yeah. you get five hundred books, if you get a thousand books, you get your whole church to do it, your organization to do it, man, we might show up. Who knows? <laughs> we might we might show up. So we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna post about it. But um, I want to really encourage every single one of you to pre-order this book, to dive into your genius. Um, and if you don't believe in God, if you don't have a faith, or maybe you're on a faith journey, or maybe you believe in something different, I do think we can all learn from the life of Jesus. There's genius in all of us that we can discover and uncover and to harness and grow. And I think this book is the beginning of that. So with that said, do it. Here we go. Do it. I'm excited, man. And for everyone who's already pre-ordered The Genius of Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you. It actually helps because as, you know, all the algorithms um, are affected because when you pre-order the book, the yes. book goes up higher and higher in Amazon. It creates um, 
more value for them. They start posting more about it. They start yes. giving you advertisement. Yes. So you guys are helping me get the word out on yeah. the book. So thank you guys for not putting it off. And this is the coolest thing, right? Like, it, you, like to, to the skeptic, it's like, you just want to sell books. Yes, of course. The same way that you want to work a job and get paid to work a job. But to, to the person who's like trying to understand like why the strategy, the pre-order is so important for the lifespan of the book. Yes. Right. Yeah. When they see that there's like a spark of interest, when they see that there's a response that's happening, uh, when they see that people are buying it and sending it, and and people are 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 looking at it more, they put it in front of more people. And I do believe this is a book about Jesus, about genius, and it needs to be in front of the most people ever. Yeah, absolutely. I read this. Uh, I wrote this book so that people would read it. Yeah. <laughs> would read it, and to read it, you got to buy it. And or and this is the thing. I thought you said it so brilliantly on stage at Vu. You you said, "I know men don't read books, <laughs> so, so I will read a chapter to you every night, and you can listen to it on audiobook." <laughs> and he's like, yeah. "As creepy as that sounds, I will do that for you." And you're doing an audiobook, and so you can audiobook it as well. That's right. No, and I know for some people, audiobook is a preferred way of for learning sure. and growing. Yeah. And and I'll be going into studio in a few weeks, and I'm going to read the book myself. Yes. And so I'll be able to put my own emphasis to my own words, which will be really, I think, really special. Yes. And we have a lot of pastors that listen. So if you're a pastor and you're like, okay, I I, I maybe have, I've never been able to get Erwin at my church to speak. If you are going to do this book, we're going to create material where we're going to teach you how to give these messages. Yeah, absolutely. If someone's out there and they're a pastor, they want to take their church to a series, man, I will find a way and we'll get on some kind of Zoom and experience we'll get you and we'll have a conversation content. about yeah. how to unwrap each chapter. So yeah, so if, yeah. if you're interested, if you're doing it, DM me at that already and we will figure this out. We are so excited. We are just, we believe in this book and we want to do everything in our power to empower you guys to spread the message because if without you, genuinely no one would hear this stuff so uh, no one would listen and no one would care so we are grateful for you you are the family battle ready we love you so much rate and review this podcast check out the new youtube channel you can subscribe to it um you should probably tag rich wilkerson jr in the comments let's get him on this podcast i was hoping we were going to sneak attack him in miami but he was out of town so we'll get him next time all right we love you guys so much thank you for everything i love you dad i love you too buddy all right all right have a great week you too 